How fun is this, huh, Matt? Huh? <laughs> They've been stuck with me worshiping for the last four weeks in the auditorium, so um, let's give them a hand, all right? And you guys are so much hand. better. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and have a seat. We love having people in the building, and uh, I love this group, and I know you do too. Uh, they just do such a great job every week uh, bringing us bringing us the word through song and helping us lift high the name of Jesus. And what a great song. Amen. Um, if there's ever a time we need a song like that and the truth of that song drilled into us, uh, things like what the enemy means for evil, God is gonna turn it and turn it into good for us, right? Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> we know the end of the story and we're gonna see a victory. No matter what we go or are going through or what we're going to go through, um, we serve the victor, and his name's Jesus Christ. And how awesome is it to remind ourselves of that in a song like we just sang. To get started today, uh, I'd like to read you something that my good friend, Scott Griffey, if you've been around this church a while, you would know who Scott and Kim Griffey are. Scott is the child of Harry and Barb Griffey. Harry is now in heaven with the Lord. Barb is just out serving Jesus uh, still today. But Scott's a good friend, and he wrote something and sent it out to pastors in the area this week, and the title of it was this. If there was ever a time for leaders to lead, it's now. And I wholeheartedly agree. In fact, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you are on all the stuff that's going on, even within both, if we can agree on anything in our divided nation, especially in the political world, we're all agreeing on this, and I'm hearing it from all sides, if there was ever a time for leaders to lead, it is now, and the thought is, can somebody just stand up and lead us? But he sent this out to pastors, and this is what he wrote, and I just want to read it to you as we get started today. The enemy of Jesus has released his hordes against the body of Christ. Just let that sink in for a minute. The enemy of Jesus, who is Satan, has released his hordes against the body of Christ. The sheep have been isolated. That's where we've been. They're being picked off one by one. And using the weapon of fear, the enemy was able to isolate us. And in this vulnerable state of isolation, he has unleashed on us the weapons of division and doubt and deception, fear, hatred, anger, and shame. Man, has he gotten that right. I'm not sure I should or could, I'm going to say this, but I didn't write this, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Through social media and other so-called media outlets, we have so many voices. I say we have too many voices to listen to. 
So many quote unquote experts who are expressing completely polar opposite views. What are we to do? Our neighbor who's a nurse, a cousin who's a police officer, a parent or a grandparent who was around in the 60s during the Vietnam War and they totally know what's going on today or who lived through the racial tensions of the civil rights era. We are trying to make life-changing decisions all through the lenses of fear, ignorance, and isolation. We've been divided and we're being conquered. Remember, this is final challenge. Our fight is not with each other. Remember, church, remember, our fight is not with each other. You hear me? You hearing this? You agree? Our fight is with Satan, the enemy of our Jesus and the enemy of our souls. I've been a bit um, rebuked this week. Thank you, Jeff. I've been a bit rebuked this week because um, I've been feeling a little sorry for myself. (laughs) Like, I don't know how to lead through this. And then I get sent, if there was ever a time for leaders to lead, it's now. And I'm like, I don't know how to lead through this. I don't know what to do. I mean, it is so hard. Our, our leadership teams here at the church, our elders and deacons have been wrestling with this. And it's like, there's no good decision. There's no win in this. It's just, we gotta like just move forward. And there's people on all, all sides of this outside our church trying to tell us, you guys are crazy, or man, you're doing awesome. Or, and we've got people inside. We're all over the place on this. And if we're not careful, the enemy's gonna divide us. And I've been just wrestling with that in my spirit. I've been brokenhearted over some things that are actually happening that we've been having to try to manage and deal with because it's not supposed to divide us. This should actually unite us in love for each other and in love for our Savior and, 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 and preferring each other and submitting to each other. And I just gotta tell you, what I have seen this morning has really blessed my heart. I was incredibly anxious about today because I didn't know how this whole thing was gonna work. But I am so pleased to see the unity of the body and I've been watching people prefer each other. And so I, I applaud that. And so in the middle of this confusion and in the middle of all this, you know, I'm feeling a little sorry for myself. This is what started rolling in. I started getting information from places outside the U.S., places in other parts of the world where the church of Jesus Christ is wrestling and struggling. And then I said to myself, man, we don't have, we don't know what, we don't. Phil, what are you worried about? You're worried about trying to figure out how to open the church. And we got brothers and sisters in Christ who are fearing for their very lives because of the persecution that's going on. And they've got it so bad, I'm gonna start with the easy and move to the hard, okay? Start with the light and lighter and move to the, to the harder stuff. As I share with you some things that's going on out there with our brothers and sisters in Christ and our missionary friends. You know Robin and, and Alejandro Armijo, our missionaries in Chile, they're so locked down with all of this that they can't leave their homes unless they have a written permission to leave and they're only allowing, you have to apply for permission, 
every single week and they're only allowing every adult to go out two times a week. You're in your house the rest of the time. As a result of that, people can't go to work and the church is crying out and they're saying, we don't know what to do. We can't, we can't even buy food. It's not a matter whether we can pay our bills. We can't buy food. We're out of food. We don't have any money. And so the Armijos and some of the other people in the church, they're, they're pulling money out of their pockets trying to help people and buy it. And so they, he called me and he said, Phil, we need help. And so we took from our project account that we have money set aside in our missions department and we sent $2,500 to them this week and just said they, they can buy boxes of food that are pre-done at their Walmart and actually have them just call in and they have them sent to the different people. And I think we have some pictures of, of some of that. There's, there's Alejandro with those boxes of food and, and they're making deliveries to different people and blessing them. And this is because of the generosity of God's people here being able to send money across to help this is what they purchased after we sent them the money. And they've actually started with their church, they've started now a fellowship fund like we have so that when these needs come up, they can actually take money from that. And so they're gonna start putting money into this fellowship fund that they established. But that's what's going on over there in Chile. And then I get a report from Burkina Faso. And you know, last fall, we had the opportunity, hearing about the persecution of the church and the displaced people, the believers, and a lot of people displaced because of the Islamic terrorism that's going on within their own country. And so we, we gathered some money together to help send immediate relief, if you remember, and then we got a container. We sent the container. Well, the container is there, praise God. In fact, a lot of containers going over to help them in Burkina Faso, they got hung up in port and all kinds of red tape, and the government got involved, and guess what happened to First Baptist container? It just went straight on through. What a coincidence, huh? <laughs> Praise God for that. Absolutely, I mean, hallelujah, that our, our container got there, so it's on the ground, and they've divided it into trucks. They're taking it to villages now, and they're actually, it's being distributed, and two weeks ago, in a town called Pensa, in a village where 3,000 displaced people, not all Christians, but a lot of them are, but 3,000 displaced people ran for shelter to this village. And whenever we brought that food, whenever the, the food was brought to the town, and our man on the ground, Joseph, by the way, you need to know every time that they distribute the food, they actually present the gospel before they distribute the food, and the people sit and listen to the gospel being presented. Praise God for that. I mean, that's an amazing thing. And so the mayor of the town got all excited because this relief was coming. And Joseph, he got super excited when Joseph was telling him, the Christians in America love us and they've sent this relief. And so it comes from those people who care about what's going on over here. His name is uh, Mayor Soleimani Zabra and this is a picture of him and the news came out and he actually gave a report and when he reported to the news, he said something like this. We're so thankful for the Christians in America who care about us and sent us this food to bring relief to our village. And last week, jihadists came in and assassinated him for that and eight others and five soldiers. But in the providence of God, Joseph, our man on the ground, was asked to present the message at the mayor's funeral. 
so that his family can hear the gospel. And we need to be praying for them. A brother in Kenya uh, named Thomas wrote to Robin this week. And because of the famine there in their land, he said, guys, the people in our church are starving. And we have shared all that we have, but it is still not enough. We need help. You know, Abraham Thomas, if you've been around First Baptist a while, the Lord is speaking to us right now. Isn't that awesome? Okay. Uh, Abraham Thomas, Royal Agape Ministries in India. He, called, he, he wrote to me this week and said, you need, to, you need to call the church to prayer because we have a brand new church plant in Sri Lanka. And the way they do church plants, they don't take a bunch of Christians and go over and plant a church. They just go into an area and they start preaching the gospel and whoever comes to Jesus, they start a church. And so they have 30 brand new Christians out of the Buddhist religion who have given their hearts to Jesus and they've started a church in Sri Lanka. And he's, this is Pastor Bandera is his name and he writes this and these are his words. We got an information yesterday about a conspiracy by the Buddhist monks and the villagers against our family and against the believers who attend our church. They're all new converts from Buddhist background. But no, whatever, no matter what happens, he says, even if we have to die for Christ, we are ready for any persecution. We will not give up the ministry here. We know there is strong opposition now listen to this. This is his perspective. Thank God for that. Because we also know that God is with us. And he never leaves us. But we need a lot of prayers at the moment is what he said. Listen, my friends. Some of these things we're wrestling with. kind of petty compared to what's going on in the world. And so we're gonna stop right now and pray for their deliverance, okay? And pray for God's protection over them. So lean into prayer with me right now as I pray for them. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come to you and you are the God who hears our prayers and you will answer our prayers. And we also thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who's praying for us right now as we pray. And he's praying according to your will on behalf of our brothers and sisters over there. So forgive my prayer if I'm not praying the right things, but God, what we want for our brothers and sisters is deliverance and protection so that the gospel can go forth. But even some of our brothers and sisters over there are willing to give their lives in order for the gospel to go forward. And so I pray for strength for them as they face these dark, hard times. And you said that you've you will not forsake us and you will give us everything that we need and so I pray that you will provide their needs right now, Lord, in miraculous ways and encourage our brothers and sisters and help them to not give up hope. They will not walk away from their ministries. Mm. How awesome to serve a powerful, mighty God. So strengthen them. 
and strengthen us as we open your word together in Jesus' name, amen. All right, why don't you take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 47. We're, we're nearing the end of Joseph's life, and I've titled this message today, A Yo-Yo Life. And uh, the reason I titled it that way is because I think life is like a yo-yo. And I don't know, do you guys know what this is? It's not just a yo-yo. This is a Duncan butterfly yo-yo. In fact, if it ain't Duncan, it ain't a yo-yo. That's exactly right. Where have you guys all been? You should all know that. It should all come out of your mouth. Look at that. Look at that. That's a sleeper. That's exactly right. Bam. There it is. Boom. Look at that. I am like a yo-yo professional. It's like riding a bike. You never forget. Bam. Right? How many of you think I can do? There's all kinds of tricks you can do. How many think I can do around the world? Huh? Around the world? Watch this. No, I can't. No, I can't. But I used to be able to. I used to be able to when I was a kid because I practiced and it was, man, do you guys remember that? You remember practicing your yo-yo and getting in trouble at school because you took it out and you weren't supposed to? All right. How many think I can do rock the cradle, rock the baby in the cradle? You believe it? I got to get it to sleep again. No. There it goes. Almost, almost, because I couldn't get it back, okay? But here's the deal. Here's what I want to say. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Here's what I want to say. Simply, life is like a yo-yo. Because, and Joseph's life has been like a yo-yo. Hopefully, you've, you've appreciated this and you've like enjoyed his, his life as anything has been anything but boring, right? I mean, up and down, up and down, just like a yo-yo, just like a yo-yo, up and down. And our lives do the same thing. You know, we're up, and we might stay up for a while, but then we're down again. And sometimes we get down, and it just stays down. And we're like, come on, come on, baby, you're running out of steam. And then it just sits and spins. That's a hard time of your life right there. And I know some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are experiencing that right now. And I just want to say that as we've looked at his life, no matter how you slice it, it's like a yo-yo. It has gone up and down, up and down. And as we come to the end of Joseph's story, this legendary tale, we want to reflect. I'm going to take you just in the first part. And by the way, I'm not ending today. We're gonna to do part one and part two to finish up the story. We're supposed to start next week. We were supposed to start the Gotta Have a Question series. That ain't gonna happen. And you just need to know this, that we don't determine what we're going to do based on our emotions about things that are happening or like world events don't necessarily change what we're gonna do. I believe that God, before the foundations of the world, God knew that this COVID thing was gonna happen and he knew that we were gonna be preaching through the book of Joseph and he knew for whatever reason that today this message needed to be spoken to you and to you. And so I'm gonna go for it even though you'll see why I've been a little reluctant to go here but 
as a review of the things we've already learned about Joseph, when he comes onto the scene, his life is really up. He's a young teenager, and we, he comes on the scene, and life is great, and he's the favored son in his father's house. He's spoiled rotten. He uh, gets whatever he wants. He gets this special brand new coat that's all a special coat that just screams to all of his other brothers, I'm the favorite, and dad loves me more than he loves you, and we talked about all of that that's going on. Doesn't have to work out in the herds with his, with his brothers. He's the one that his father says, hey, son, you just take it easy. And every once in a while, I'm going to send you out there. You just take your time. Go out there. Check on your brothers. They come back and tattle on them and let me know how things are going and how they're doing. Life's great, man. I mean, life is awesome for Joseph when he comes onto the scene. But then it happens just like it happens for you and for me, that somewhere along the way, the bottom falls out of our life and we hit the bottom. And he literally goes down there because he's thrown into a pit in Canaan. He's sold into slavery by the people who are supposed to be loving him and protecting him. His own family throws him into a pit and then sells him into slavery. And then he's dragged away to a foreign country, Egypt, where he doesn't have any people, he doesn't understand the language, he doesn't understand the culture, and he's a slave, and he gets sold into slavery into the house of Potiphar, who is an official of Pharaoh. And so there's no lower place to be, right? I mean, you're like, you, you're a slave in somebody's house, and you have to do everything you're told. You don't even have a life of your own. And he's down there at the bottom, but all of a sudden, he pops up, because the Lord does something for him. And even in the midst of the lowest part, if you look at Genesis 39, 24, God begins to elevate him in Potiphar's house. And it says this in verse two of Genesis 39, the Lord was with Joseph. And what we need to understand, and I want you to understand that when you're doing your yo-yo thing, even when you're down at the bottom, the truth of this message is, and the truth of the story is that, that God, the Lord, is with you when you're down there. Amen. And he hasn't forgotten you and he never will. Because he says and he promises, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will always be with you. And the Lord was with Joseph down there in that low part of his life as a slave. And he succeeded, the scripture says, in everything that he did and he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. And this pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant, and he put him in charge of his entire household, everything he owned. And it tells us that Potiphar didn't worry about anything anymore except, what am I gonna eat for dinner tonight? And he left everything to Joseph. So now this slave who was down there in the pit is now exalted to this high position in an official of Pharaoh's house. That's pretty, that's, that's, that's something. On top of it all, the scripture tells us that Joseph was handsome. So he's, he's, he's not only on the upside, but he's also a handsome dude. And the Bible says that he was handsome, not just in appearance, but in his physical appearance. And so, woohoo! Not only am I successful, but I'm handsome. Everything about me which takes him down again. And the reason it takes him down again, not because he's good looking, but because Mrs. Potiphar starts lusting after him, after that great appearance that he has. 
And when Joseph tries to do the right thing, and day after day after day refuses her sexual advancements towards him, she grabs him one day. She gets fed up with his refusal and just grabs him one day and is gonna force him. And he runs away, and as he runs from her, she rips his coat off, and as she's standing there holding the coat, she starts to scream out, Joseph tried to rape me, and when I screamed out, he ran, and look, I have his coat to prove it. And here's Joseph trying to do the right thing, trying to do the honorable thing for his master. I would never sin against you and do this with your wife. Trying to do the righteous thing for his God. I would never sin against my God and do this thing. He's falsely accused and unjustly thrown into prison and bam, just like that, just that fast, he's down in the pit again. And that yo-yo effect is happening in his life. He's down, then he's up. It's awesome, he's down again. While in prison, though, he meets two of Pharaoh's officials. And thinks, he thinks you're starting to look up. Ah, oh, maybe here's my out. Here, maybe this is God's provision in my life. And he starts to look up. One of them, the cupbearer, who, because of Joseph's ability to interpret dreams, finds out that he's going to be restored to his position. And so Joseph makes a deal with him and says, listen, when you get restored, because it's going to happen, because the dream is going to come true, when you get restored to your position with Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh about me, okay? That I did this good thing for you and get me out of here, get me out of prison. So his hopes are all up. And so he thinks the, the, the yo-yo is going to pop back to his hand, right? But it goes into sleep mode down there. Because day after day, moment, every moment of every day for the next two years, he's thinking, maybe today, maybe today, maybe today, and it doesn't happen. And he's stuck down there. And the yo-yo's sleeping down there. And you're like, come on, baby, come on. If we don't hurry up, there's not gonna be any more spin to get back up. And you can only imagine what's going on in his heart. And some of you know what that is. In fact, some of you are down there in that sleep mode right now in whatever situation you find yourself in. And you're like, come on. When's God gonna deliver? And then... In a moment, and I loved this part of the story because in, in a sudden providence of God, he's jerked back. It's like God has a string and he goes pop and he pops him right back out of prison. The Bible tells us that he's jerked out of the prison, he's washed up, he's shaved, he's given a new set of clothes and before he knows it, before he can even think about it, he's standing before the most powerful person on the planet. Before the king of Egypt, Pharaoh himself, here he is, a nothing, out of prison, cleaned up, standing in front of the most powerful man. Who would ever dream that would ever happen? He would never even have that in his head that that would ever happen, but here he is, because that's how life works, especially in the life of Jesus Christ, when you're in Jesus Christ. After interpreting Pharaoh's dream and receiving God's wisdom and favor and administrative ability He's elevated at this point to the number two position of power and influence in the entire world. Woohoo! I mean, how awesome is this, right? You can hear the song, celebrate good times, come on. That's what I wanted to sing this morning, and Matt wouldn't do it. 
Nah, I'm just kidding. It would have been fun to sing that song, though, today. But please don't forget. Please do not forget that it took 13 years of walking through the ups and downs of life with deep, and he had deep, dark valleys of despair with no light of hope to see in that dark time before getting to this point of, ele- ele- of, of God elevating him to this position. Now, he hits a new height when he finds out that his father and his little brother are still alive. And then Pharaoh gives him permission to move the whole family from Canaan to Egypt. And we saw last week the joyous reunion of this dysfunctional family. And now we get to chapter 47. So take your Bibles and make sure you're there. Chapter 47. Get your Bibles online with us and get them out to chapter 47 of Genesis, verse 27. So he's in this up part now of his story and of his life. And it says here that the people of Israel settled in the region of Goshen in Egypt. And there, here's this prosperity. They acquired property. They were fruitful and their population grew rapidly. And Jacob lived for 17 years after his arrival in Egypt. That's really good news for Jacob and his family. So they're realizing this great time of peace and prosperity that God gives them in the land of Egypt in Goshen. And he lived 147 years in all. Happy birthday, Jacob. 147 years old. That is really old. That's like a sentence to this earth for 147 years. I found this birthday card that's very appropriate for him. I'm not saying you're old, but your birth certificate is on papyrus. (laughs) I mean, I just imagine some of the birthday greetings. Happy birthday, Jacob. Don't hurt yourself blowing out all those candles. Or better yet, for everyone's safety, please skip the candles this year. We can't afford 147 candles. And I can't resist. I came across this one. I'm not saying you're old, but if you were milk... I'd sniff you before putting you on my cereal. (laughs) I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself on that one. That's kind of gross. But how awesome, what a gift to Jacob. That in his latter years, at 130 years old, God gave him 17 years to enjoy his family in the land of Goshen. What a gift to him. After all the agony he had of the 22 years thinking Joseph is dead and having to deal with the depression of all of that, that God blesses Jacob and brings him to his family and his whole family comes together and they enjoy 17 years. I'm so thankful for him that God gave him that. But then we come to verse 29 and the yo-yo begins its downward spiral again. As the time of his death drew near, verse 29 of chapter 47, Jacob called for his son Joseph and said to him, please do me this favor. Put your hand under my thigh. That's how they, um, I don't know the word I'm trying to use, but that's how they showed their sincerity of what they were about to do. And swear that you will treat me with unfailing love by honoring this last request. Do not bury me in Egypt. When I die, please take my body out of Egypt and bury me with my ancestors. So Joseph promised, I will do as you ask. 
Swear that you will do it, Jacob insisted. Okay, dad. So Joseph gave his oath and swore, and Jacob bowed humbly at the head of his bed, and I would put to you that the celebration now is over. We start on the downward side of that yo-yo experience. But I want you to notice what Jacob did. I think it's very significant. We don't skip over this part. That he's dying and he's getting his affairs in order. His final things, he's speaking to his kids. And this is what he did, does at the end. Jacob bowed humbly at the head of his bed. What that literally means is that he bowed down and he worshiped at the head of his bed. What a special gift for Joseph. What a lasting picture that will be forever etched into his memory of the kind of father that he had. Here he is getting ready to die. He's getting his affairs in order and he does what he does. He kneels down and he bows down and he worships his God in front of his son. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful gift for Joseph to be there and to be able to see his father doing this here at the end of his life. James Dobson tells of what he put on his dad's headstone. His dad died and so they had put on his dad's headstone. He prayed. He prayed because that characterized his dad. Joseph could have put on his dad's headstone. He worshiped. And as I was working through this, I, I stopped and I pondered. I wonder, what will my kids and grandkids put on my headstone? That's a sobering thought for all of us Men of God, uh, dads, grandpas. What will they know about us and what will be on their minds in our final time? What will be on their minds? What will, what will they be thinking about us? Well, let's move on. In chapter 48, and I'm not going into 48 because I want you, you just take it and read it. It's a great chapter, but I want to point to the fact that in chapter 48, Joseph here at the end of Jacob's life, he brings his boys Ephraim and Manasseh in to see their grandpa in his final moments. And after the kisses, the Bible says, and the embraces, and then there's the blessings that Jacob imparts onto his grandsons, it says that they prayed together. What a beautiful scene. That at the end of grandpa's life, he brings in his grandsons and he gets to spend time kissing them and embracing them and blessing them and then they pray together. What a beautiful scene. Man, we need more of that in the church of Jesus Christ. We need more of that in our homes, don't we? Yes. Unfortunately, it's a scene that's becoming more and more rare these days and it's happening, it's more and more rare for two reasons. First of all, because fathers are absentee fathers in a lot of cases today. In fact, a lot of the reason our nation, our community, our nation, and our world is in trouble is because men aren't doing the things that only men can do in the home. That's right. And they're not showing up. And they're not taking the position that God gave them to take. And they're not leading their families. And they're not with their kids. 
in order to have this kind of impact on them and their grandchildren. And that's heartbreaking, but what's also heartbreaking is that we don't put a value on end of life these days. We're not spending time with those of our loved ones like we used to when they're on their deathbed. And so we're missing out because there is great value in how we die and where we die and who's with us when we die. One author wrote this that I came across this week. Birth is something the whole family seems to enjoy and enter into. But death is set aside for only the professionals. See, the way things happen today, which didn't happen back here especially, in fact, they had 40 days of embalming ceremony after their loved one died, after Jacob died. But now we get sick and we take our loved ones and take them away and let somebody else deal with them at their end of life. And I'm telling you, my heart is breaking right now during this, this COVID crisis because people are getting sick and our loved ones are dying and you can't go in. What a horrible thing to be on your deathbed and you've got nobody by your side. Talked to one of our dear ladies um, in our church last night and she's heartbroken because she's the only child and 90, her 95-year-old dad who doesn't have any symptoms happened to get tested for something and they said, oh, you have COVID-19. And so he's isolated now, 95 years old, and nobody can touch him. Nobody can see him. In fact, when our brothers and sisters, our loved ones, our dear saints are, are dying, they won't even let pastors come in and be by their side and help them, which is a powerful thing that needs to be happening when we're on our final, we're taking our final breath and we're in our final hours of being on this earth. This is a sad reality in our culture. And it's sad because there are a lot of touching things that are observed at the bedside of our dying loved ones. There are some amazing things that are said and spoken by the bedside of those we love who are getting ready to pass. And this is what we have going on here. And look at verse 11 of chapter 48. Jacob, and if you read on, it says that Jacob's eyesight was bad, but he says to Joseph, I never thought I would see you, your face again. But now God has let me see your children too. What a special time there at his bedside. This reminds me of some very special bedside moments that I have had. And I am so thankful that my parents saw the value in not sheltering us as little children from death and the death of our loved ones. They let us enter into the reality that we're all going to die someday. And death is just as much a part of life because we're all going to die. And they didn't shelter us from that. And I remember at five years old, and you might think, wow, five years, yeah, five years old. I remember it's etched into my memory going and seeing Grandma Byers she had had a massive stroke and it had taken most of her mind and she was like a little simple child. And I remember 
my dad gathering us up as kids, as his mom, and he said, you know, guys, we're gonna go see grandma because this might be the last time we see her alive, and I want you to go. And so we did, and at five years old, I entered into my grandma's hospital room, and I remember jumping up on her bed to give her a kiss goodbye. And she had an awakening moment, and I remember her looking at me, and she knew me, and she gave me a kiss. And that was the last time I saw my grandma alive. I remember getting in the car after she passed. And I remember at five years old saying to my dad, it's okay, dad. Grandma's gonna be in heaven and we're gonna see her again. And in that innocence, at five years old, my sister's like slapping me in the back seat. Shut up, it's making him, it's making him sad and he's weeping in the front seat. But my parents taught me that death is part of this life. And they help me understand the importance of knowing that you're in Jesus because if you know that you're in Jesus, then we can have the assurance at five years old, I could have the assurance that grandma is in heaven because grandma knew Jesus. I remember my Aunt Cora. I was a teenager at this point. It was her 96th birthday. She's gonna have a big birthday celebration and my dad says, we're gonna go see Aunt Cora and we're gonna have a birthday party and at a teenager, I'm like, seriously? No, I do not wanna go to Aunt Cora's birthday party. And he says to me, Phil, you don't know, this might be the last time you see your aunt alive. I think you ought to come. And I'm so glad we did. We went to that 96th birthday party it was so special because we sat around, you know how families do, and when they get around like that and they get around Aunt Cora, we're telling Aunt Cora stories. And we're laughing and crying and we're telling all these stories. It was a precious time. And then Aunt Cora silenced the room when she started singing us a little song. And I don't even remember what the song was, but I remember being stopped in my tracks and thinking, this is a very special moment here. She sang us a song. We went home. And two days later, Aunt Cora closed her eyes to go to sleep one night and never opened them again on earth. She opened them in heaven. I'll never forget that moment that we had with her at the end of her life. I remember Grandma Brooks, my mom's mom. Now I'm a freshman in college and I came home for Christmas break and it's Christmas Eve and my mom and dad said, Grandma's dying. She had cancer of the stomach and she wasn't gonna live much longer. We're gonna go see her. I walk into her room and it was dark in her room because she liked the light off and it was that evening and I went in by myself to see her. And she calls out, Alfred, she says to me. And I'm like, no, Grandma, <laughs> it's Phil. She goes, I know, I know. She always thought I looked like my grandpa and his name was Alfred. So she had some moment where she thought she was seeing him. I remember how special it was to sit there next to her bed in her dying moments and opening the Bible and reading from the Psalms to her. And I remember as I'm reading, I remember her reaching out 
like this and she's laying on her back and she's reaching up and I'm like, Grandma, what do you need? I thought she needed something or she couldn't breathe or something and she indicated that she just wants to reach out and hang on to Jesus. And I don't know if she was seeing Jesus or not. I love to believe that she was in her final moments here and after that special time on our way home, we got the call that Grandma just passed that next morning. I remember Grandma Flo, Robin's grandma, healthy as could be, had just spent the, the week with Robin and her mom, having a time, having the time of their lives, and we get a call, we're at church, and I'm ministering, and we get a call that Grandma Flo's in the hospital, and we race to the hospital, and the doctor pulls us outside in the hallway, and he says, Grandma, she's dying. She has a rip in her heart and there's nothing we can do to help her. And we're like, come on, you gotta do something. They said, there's nothing we can do. Well, what does that mean? She's gonna die. Well, when? Maybe she has an hour. And we're like, an hour? And I remember walking into the room and we tell Grandma Flo the news. And Robin begins to weep. And I remember Grandma Flo, because she knew Jesus, I remember her pulling Robin in close and saying, it's okay, Robin, don't cry, baby. It's okay. Because she knew that she was gonna be ushered into the presence of her Savior. And we sat by her side as she falls asleep and her breathing gets lighter and she stops breathing and we sat there until the very last beat of her heart that we could hear on the monitor and what an awesome thing to be standing at the side of a saint of Jesus Christ when you know the scripture to be true, that absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and be there the minute, the second, that her body stops working and her soul is with the Lord. I would, I, those things are etched into my mind. Pastor Gillette, how many families over your years of ministry, have you spent at their bedside helping them and helping their families deal with the loss of their mother or grandmother or child? It's a privilege, it's, it's a privilege to be part of that. sat by the side of one of our dear women who was eaten up by cancer and she's getting ready to go to be with the Lord and I'm standing by her bedside. It's just me and her and I'm talking to her from the scriptures and I'm sharing with her about heaven. And she reaches out her hand and, and she's like reaching and I'm like, what do you need, sister? How can I help you? And she's, as she's reaching, she goes, I can see him. And I said, who can you see? She goes, I can see Jesus and he just won't turn around. I just wanted to turn around and I remember saying to her, sister, just hang on, you're so close. Any moment now, Jesus is gonna turn around and receive you into your eternal state. I remember being next to the, the, the chair, the armchair of one of our dear men in our church who's 
He's wrestling with cancer and he's in his final moments and as we're sitting there with him, he's kind of coming in and out of consciousness but all of a sudden, he opens his eyes and he's frustrated and he's got his hands out and we're like, what can we do for you, brother? What can we do? How can we help you? And he goes, they won't open the gates. And I said, what gates? He goes, heaven won't open the gates for me. I just want him to open the gates. And I was able to share with him, brother, just hang on. The gates are gonna open soon. I remember being with Jim and Bev Perry, just some dear, dear, special people to me, to this church. And when Bev was in her final hour, the hospital called the family together and said, come on in, she's going. And the family came together and I had the privilege of being called to their side and I'm sitting next to the bed as, as Jim is sitting next to his sweetheart and he's holding her hand and he says, I'm gonna hang on to this hand, dear, until Jesus takes your other one. And I had the privilege of sitting with them when Jesus took her other hand and took her home to heaven. There is a very special time that Joseph is experiencing with his grandsons where he got to spend time with his dad who was dying in his final moments. See, the loneliness of death does not come after death especially for those in the Lord, the Bible tells us that they are immediately ushered into the presence of the Lord and joined with their loved ones who have gone before them. The loneliness of death comes in those final hours and minutes waiting for the last breath or that last beat of the heart and it is in that moment that we need or we want our loved ones around us. In chapter 49, he gathers all of his sons together. He blesses them with a special appropriate message for each one of them. And then just look at verse 33. And when Jacob had finished this charge to his sons, he drew his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and joined his ancestors in death. And that is a very low point of the yo-yo effect of our lives for all of us, and it certainly was for Joseph. Verse one of chapter 50 says, and Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. What a scene. Now the scene turns, as it often does in a home where dad and mom are holding ever so delicately the the thin threads of unity that are holding the family together and holding them from flying apart. Because when they're gone, the question is, who's gonna hold the family together now? Who's gonna step up and do the right thing for the family now? And that's what we're gonna pick up next week. This is not the message that I envisioned preaching on the week we all come back. And yet it is what the Lord gave me to give to you. And I need to say this to you. You're hearing this for a reason. 
And those of you who are joining with us online, you're hearing this message for a reason. And the Bible is clear to us that God's word, when it goes forth, it will go out and do what it is set out to do, and it will not return back to God empty. It will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. And here's what I want to say to you in light of all of this. So we're going to work next week on the family unit. And I want to say two things to close. The first is, there is nothing worth staying divided on in the family, especially if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. So that when you get to the end of your life, you end up sad and alone at the very last moments of your time here on earth. If this teaches us anything, it teaches us how important unity in the family needs to be. And maybe you're here listening to this and you're, or you're online listening to this and you're saying, man, wouldn't that be awesome to have these kinds of family reunions around our loved ones? You know what? It can happen. Sometimes it's impossible for us to fix things in our families, but sometimes all we need to do is humble ourselves and we can actually be the ones who bring peace back to the home. And we can be the ones who activate unity within the home. So important. As we come close to the end of maybe our existence on earth, it's not, there is nothing in this world worth hanging on to to keep the division going in our homes. But the second thing and the most important thing is this. Ecclesiastes 7.2 says that death, like we see here with Jacob, is inevitable. It is, it is the destiny of every man and every woman. We are all, unless Jesus returns for his church, we are all going to experience personal death, physical death on this earth. And the back part of that verse says, and the living should take note of that. The living should take that to heart. In other words, the living ought to sit up and think about that. The Bible also tells us that our life here on this earth, what is your life? It's nothing. It is a vapor. It is a mist. It is here today and it is gone tomorrow. We think we've got all the time in the world. I remember being kids like these guys right here. And thinking, man, I'm going to live forever. No, you're not. And the message today for everyone, everyone hearing this, is make sure you're in a right relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ, and your God, our Father in heaven. The Bible says that today he's offering salvation. Today we live in a time of grace. He's offering grace. He's offering love He's offering salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine because we can't pay the price for that sin requires, which is death. He died. He took that for us so that all we have to do is humble ourselves and come before him and confess our sin before him and receive his gift of salvation and believe on his name. And the Bible says that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved and you can be saved today. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. 
You're hearing it today, and you might not have tomorrow. So there's an invitation to you. There's an invitation to you sitting here physically. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, we are here. We have a prayer team up here at the front, and we want to talk to you about questions you might have about salvation or you know you need to be saved and you know this message. Thank God, Phil, you said it to me today because I need to hear this. If that's you, come up here afterwards. We're gonna be here to receive you and show you how to walk in a new relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are online listening to us, you can give your heart to Jesus today. You know if this message is for you. You know that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. And somebody right now is popping up on the screen a way for you to connect with us and either have questions answered about salvation or you can let us know, I gave my heart to Jesus today and then let us know who you are so that we can help you walk in your new life with Jesus Christ. What we're talking about right now is the most important thing in the universe is the salvation of human souls. And in a day where our futures are as uncertain as they ever have been. Don't put off that decision. Come to Jesus today. Why don't you stand with me as we pray? Our Father, thank you for letting us come to you in prayer. Thank you for hearing our prayers. And thank you for your word and these stories that were written about these great people of the past so that we can understand how we should be living, so that we can understand that there is salvation for us, so that we can understand that even in the yo-yo of life, you are never leaving us. You're always there with us and you're always providing. And so I pray right now, and I just wanna pray specifically for those who your spirit is calling their name to salvation today that you would defeat Satan from stealing the seed that's being planted in them right now. And that you would give them humility and that you would give them the will to accept your gift of salvation right now today and start walking the brand new life in Jesus Christ. Father, help us to align our lives with you and your word to submit ourselves to each other and to your will in our lives so that we can shine for Jesus, so that we can penetrate our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ as we go from this place. I pray protection over us, Lord. We're vulnerable today. And I pray that you'll protect us as a congregation from getting sick. I pray that you'll protect our congregation um, out in the world from the evil one. And I pray that you will use our congregation, this body of believers, to advance your kingdom in powerful ways this week in the way that we live. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. We love you. So good to see your faces. So good that you've joined us online. God bless you as you go out in the power and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're dismissed.
Thank you for joining our online worship service this morning. Our prayer is that the worship and the teaching inspire you to love God, to love people, and to influence the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If this is your first experience with us, let us know by clicking the connection card link. If you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, you can click on the prayer request link. You can also check out our website, fbcelkhart.org, to keep connected with us. God bless, and have a great week, everybody, and we can't wait to see you here next Sunday.